Welcome to the discussion, Raising the Cybersecurity Bar Across National Security Networks, sponsored by ArcField. Here's today's moderator, Justin Doubleday. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is John Meyer, the Vice President and General Manager of Cyber Products and Services at ArcField. John, great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And so obviously we're here today to talk about cybersecurity, uh, the cybersecurity of national security networks. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cyber threats, they're constantly evolving, but based on your experience in the field, what do you think some of the most pressing cybersecurity threats facing defense and intelligence agencies are today that maybe they're not thinking about as much? Well, so uh, I, I actually think there are less threats than they are challenges, mm. right? Because on an everyday basis, we have evolving threats, whether it's bad nation state actors, whether it's insider threats, whether it's new malicious malware or something else coming at us from different directions. I think the biggest challenge that government agencies have is staying up to date with what they're currently doing as they're planning to transition to the future. Yeah, I mean, it's a constantly evolving IT infrastructure that they're dealing with, new threats that are kind of cropping up every week, every day even. I'm wondering for defense and intelligence agencies specifically, they've been tasked with this National Security Memorandum 8 on improving cybersecurity across their networks, kind of raising the bar. Uh, that's from the White House. What do you think some overall strategies are for those agencies to achieve all the all the requirements that are outlined in that memorandum? Sure. So uh, it goes back actually one step past that to uh, Executive Order fourteen oh twenty eight, which started with in twenty May of twenty twenty one asking all agencies to create a baseline, bring all their cyber infrastructure up to par, at what they deem is the baseline level. Uh, and put those plans in place and then begin implementing it. And of course, when NSMA came out and it was is very much focused at the Intel community, uh, what they call the national security systems, right? Uh, so that those are systems that they deem the information on them and is even more important. And coming out of that, uh, what you see is the next level of planning uh, for things like zero trust, uh, for, for capabilities, you know, defense in depth layered cyber architectures, uh, and, and then the implementation of, of, it's called raise the bar, but it's a specification that comes from the agency, which dictates uh, what they can and can't do with regards to movement between their networks, whether they're in the cloud or whether they're still on-prem. And I think the other piece that's important to note is that the journey to the cloud, it is, it's exactly that, it's a journey, right? So as they're planning and designing their zero trust architectures, they're also leaning forward and saying, do we do this in the cloud? Do we still stay on-prem? Maybe we push most of this to the cloud. Uh, so it's, it's a journey, and especially for those organizations, just keeping up to date, right? I mean, last week we had uh, July, was it July 10th or 11th, uh, Microsoft came out, the NATO summit over in Lithuania, and said, hey, there's a Word doc, and it has a, a, a vulnerability in it, right? It can take over your systems. Those are going to evolve. They're going to continue to happen. So staying on their guard for what they currently have to do while they're migrating to their future position, right, is is really important. Yeah, and you mentioned the extra considerations that national security agencies have in terms of passing data between different layer, different networks that are often at different classification levels, classified, unclassified. What are some particularly important considerations for those agencies when they're thinking about moving data across those different levels of networks? 
Yeah, so NSM-8 and, and the requirement for raise the bar within NSM-8 spells out basically that you have to have certain types of technologies in place. And one of the things that came out at the most recent uh, conference that the agency sponsors uh, once a year, it's called CDTF or the Cross Domain Technical Forum, was the fact that uh, every zero trust architecture that's operated in the classified space, it's gonna have to have cross domain services, right? So just because you have zero trust, doesn't mean that your transfers are, are not gonna require a, a, a cross domain service. And so for us, what, what, we, what we see is innovation around those cross domain services because the flow of traffic like in any company or agency is just continuing to grow, right? So how do they do this more quickly and with less incidents at their boundaries? Quickly explain what a cross-domain service is for someone who might yeah, not be so, familiar. Yeah, so it's, it's like a bridge. It's like a toll gate bridge, right? So you have uh, an island, uh, which is a network that is isolated outside of this cross-domain service that sits at the boundary, and it allows the traffic to flow in and the traffic to flow out. And what they're most concerned about is exfiltration of data on the outbound movement uh, through that cross-domain service across that bridge to the next network, Right, and they're concerned about infiltration or anti-malware, anti-ransomware on the inbound side of that, right? Because certainly, you know, agencies do have breaches now and then. When they happen, it's how quickly you contain them. On a classified network, they just have to be able to lock down that drawbridge, shut it, and break the connection so that nothing bad happens. Is that like a, a firewall as people traditionally yeah, think of it? Yeah, it's, 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 very, it's very similar to a firewall, okay. um, except it's not externally available, right? right? It's only inside their networks between their, their uh, 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 broken connections or their isolated networks that they keep for getting, depending on what level of, of uh, classification it is. Got it. And so, you know, obviously they need to make sure that they can break those connections when necessary and, and ensure that they're you know, watching that traffic as it goes across the drawbridge, that leads to, you know, questions about whether they're going to, that's going to slow them down as they're trying to, you know, share data more quickly, take advantage right. of AI automation. What, what are the some important considerations? There? So, so exactly that, right? It's that you have all this data coming through wanting to go out, you have all this data wanting to come in, and you only have so many cross-domain services. Right, um, and the more data traffic they have, the more throughput they need. So technically, the more cross-domain services they may need to implement. And one of the things we've seen uh, agencies looking at is what's called pre-filtering, right? So a cross-domain service in and of itself basically filters the traffic to look for certain things. If it's outbound, it's looking for you know, data that might be purposefully being exfiltrated by someone inside the organization. If it's inbound, it's looking at documents to basically strip out any malware or ransomware. And an important part is, like today you, you get an email and it has ransomware in it, maybe it's quarantined, mm -hmm. right? With the technology that's being implemented in these cross-domain services, they have the capacity to cleanse the document. And what that means is it doesn't stop. It doesn't sit in a quarantine. And these are all based on the agency's guides. They invest a lot of money, research, looking at how you can cleanse a document once it's actually been infected by malware or ransomware, and then allow it to continue its journey so the business process doesn't break. Wow, that seems like a really difficult nut to crack. Is the technology there to do that at scale at this point? Or? It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it is. It's called, it's called filtering. Yeah. And the filters, the way the agency specs it out is you have to filter three times. 
and three, I mean, why did you have to filter three times? Why not four? Why not two, right? Because what they found is in combination, every vendor that produces a filter, they do it just a little bit different. And so they test them in different configurations to figure out, hey, okay, now what does this look like? If you do filter one, filter two, filter three, is that 99.99999 you know, level of cyber assurance that nothing's gonna get in? And what they found is in different combinations, you get different result sets, right? And with those different results, you get better results. So they found that filtering three times, and that's the requirement and to raise the bar specification from the agency, filter three times. So you take the filter, the filter processes it. Many times it's filtered for different characteristics each time it's filtered. So basically by the time it gets in, you know, it's like a, it's like a newborn baby, right? So on the other side, it's perfect, pristine, clean. There's nothing you can do, uh, you know, except now you can go on with your process. Whereas, whereas in the commercial space, they don't typically filter like that. So it just gets quarantined. Then the business process breaks, whether it's email or an FTP or a web download, it can't complete, right? Uh, so it's really important. Speed's definitely important because every guard or CDS that you have along that boundary, if it gets plugged up, it slows down the business. Sure. Are, you mentioned the three pass, uh, the three filter pass requirement. Is there anything else that you think is particularly important to note about what these agencies are looking for out of these types of capabilities going forward? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, especially in the classified space, because they don't communicate like yeah. what's going on. Now, in RTB, the current spec, there's the, and there's always been the capacity to do that, but it's just with NSM8, organizations are now being told they have to be more open, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're beginning to share their data so someone can see, oh look, agency A over here and agency B over here, they're seeing the same types of attacks, right? We need to, we need to understand what's going on there. Yeah, I, I think the National Security Memorandum really put the NSA uh, elevated their role as the national manager yes. across those agencies. There are already were that, but I kind of think it kind of bolstered their role there. You know, when you think about uh, you know what you can share from that forum that you attended and what what the NSA is kind of seeing across the board. You know, um, what are some of the things that that they're looking for going forward across the board? So uh, first one is being able to move into the cloud. Yeah. Right. So they definitely want organizations to consider that. Um, and as they do that, it's it's a challenge because the environments that they've been used to being in, right, they're now owned by pretty much four providers or maybe five, uh, IBM, Oracle, uh, AWS, Microsoft slash Azure, uh, Google. Right. Uh, so then within those environments, how do they replicate what they already have with the cross domain services, with filtering, with all these different capabilities? Um, today, most agencies, when they implement their cross domain service, they're separated apart, right? In that no one knows what policy they're implementing. They don't know what data one agency is looking for versus another agency, right? Because they all take different approaches to that. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge, and especially then moving that into the cloud, because the cloud, you think about it, you can just push everything in, infrastructure as a service, right? But they'd like to move it where it's actually a service or servitized, right? Where when someone wants to do a cross-domain transfer, there's a cross-domain service that scales up and scales down, and you can pass your data to it, and it'll move where it needs to move. But all that's in the works, right? It's just being, it's just being worked through now. All right, I'd like to pull the thread on the, the cloud computing side of things a little bit more, but first we're gonna take a break. 
Again, my guest today is John Meyer, the Vice President and General Manager of Cyber Products and Services at Arcfield. I'm your moderator, Justin Doubleday, on this discussion, Raising the Cybersecurity Bar Across National Security Networks, sponsored by Arcfield on Federal News Network. For nearly 2,000 severely injured veterans, everyday life has become filled with barriers. So we build specially adapted homes at Homes for Our Troops. And thanks to our donors and supporters, this life-changing gift of freedom is provided mortgage-free to these veterans. But we need you to join us too in completing this important mission. Please visit hfotusa.org and help build homes and rebuild lives. Welcome back to the discussion, Raising the Cybersecurity Bar Across National Security Networks, sponsored by Arcfield on Federal News Network. Again, my guest today is John Meyer, the Vice President and General Manager of Cyber Products and Services at Arcfield. I'm your moderator, Justin Doubleday. And John, before the break, we were starting to talk about cloud computing and how it's kind of early days for defense and intelligence agencies as they move some of their systems into those environments but how are you seeing perhaps the cybersecurity approaches change, the, the approaches to some of the issues we've been talking about with filtering traffic between networks and how they take on cybersecurity threats? Sure. So as they move into the cloud, again, we, we had talked about the drawbridge, right? So you have these island networks and they have to be able to communicate going back and forth, whether it's data coming in or data going out. The same, same types of events will need to occur in the cloud. The difference is, is that in the cloud, given its scalability, its built-in security elements, um, organizations would rather, instead of having these, these cross-domain services at those points, um, be able to kind of what we call filtering real-time, uh, which is look at the traffic or look at the, the, we call them complex document types that are moving within the environment and be able to call a service. Today, that isn't the way it works. You know, your documents circulate around inside the, the closed network, and then when they're ready to move out, they get sent to the, the edge, right? And it gets to the drawbridge and, and moves or doesn't. And, and if it doesn't move, by the way, that's a security incident, right? So if there's a finding, it gets stopped. So this notion of pre-filtering or real-time vetting of documents in the traffic is something that'll be much more capable uh, to do in the cloud, the agencies will be. So I'm sure they'll be looking more at that, more intently at that and, and how to gain efficiency. Uh, because again, under, under NSM 8, uh, you know, any agency that has classified networks moves into the cloud, they still have to use a cross-domain service. Whether it's a virtual service in Amazon or Azure or something else, or whether it's literally, like today, a physical piece of hardware with software embedded into it, right, that is that, that uh, bridge gateway to go back and forth, uh, then it will be the same thing in the cloud, just in a, in a different manner. So looking at the traffic, I think, and understanding, and that, that actually walks right into zero trust, right? And, and organizations not only looking to move to the cloud, but to figure out how do you do that in the context of zero trust. Yeah, talk about that a little bit more. Zero trust architecture is kind of that North Star where all agencies are going, including the national security community. How does this approach factor into a broader zero trust architecture? Sure, so when you look at zero trust, I think a lot of people think it's, well, I go buy a product, I go implement it, I get zero trust. And that's not the case. Zero, zero trust and, and what the, the, the reference model, uh, 800.207, which is NIST's publication on zero trust, 
and then their most recent publication, which has the uh, update to that, which has the uh, ZTA or Zero Trust Architecture Reference Model, specifically draft two. Uh, it talks about the different components you need to have internally. Uh, one piece that they don't talk about is that gateway. How do the files get in and what do you need to do before they get there, right? Because the notion is once it's inside the architecture, it should be pretty safe. Truth be known, uh, they probably will be a much higher uh, a safety percentage than they are today in terms of malware getting in or ransomware getting in or someone being inside and exfilling data because of the way rights protections are done and, and access is granted inside of that network. Uh, but it's going to require lots of different products coming together and glued together in, under the zero trust architecture to make that work. Again, the, the key piece is filtering still going to exist in there, right? How often do you sample? What, what documents do you look at? How do you determine that? Those, those are all going to be important, I think, questions that agencies need to uh, determine, you know, how do they want to do that? Yeah, I, th I think I've heard people at conferences talk about how you know, zero trust isn't a move away from defense in depth and that it's kind not. of circle. It's Absolutely. just making the circle a little much tighter. Right? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, almost putting a set of handcuffs around the circle <laughs> to make sure that, you know, not, I mean, really, they, they use digital rights management, which you think once something's, you know, uh, digitally encoded and it's encrypted at rest and all the other good things that go with that, uh, that it can't be penetrated. But, you know, ha hackers are hackers and uh, they're very innovative in their approaches. Absolutely. I mean, you know, are, are you seeing any specific um, threats today when it comes to some of these these filters that, that you're running and how you're trying to keep up with, with some of those evolving threats? You talked about the, the NATO document. I think yeah. we've seen cloud, cloud services breached recently. I mean, there's just so much evolving uh, in this space. What, what, what are you seeing? So, um, interestingly enough, you know, what, what is today seems to remain the same today, right? The breaches are predominantly either link-based, which means it's coming in through an email message, so filtering on the email side, or it's document-based. So it's, I think the last, uh, the last uh, uh, number I heard was 92 to 94% of the potential breaches that could occur are occurring through links in emails or attachments in documents. Right, which which is significant because you think about how do we do how do we do our business today? Like tons of stuff comes in and out via email, right? Or you're out on the web and you're reaching for something to bring it in. Uh, it's it's those all document based or what we call rich content based uh, uh, files or Slack or other yeah. collaboration services that are always. It can be in development environment. It can be anywhere. Sure. And then in terms of future threats, something that has been a focus for agencies for the past couple of years in particular is quantum computing and quantum encryption. There's NSM 10 kind of directing agencies to start to address those threats. You know, how, how are you seeing these requirements evolve in the national security space specifically and how they filter down into what agencies are having to do today on the cybersecurity front? Yeah, so, so NSM 10 again is another very important one because data at rest, right? If quantum computing can break the encryption that we have today, well, then data at rest doesn't do us very much good, right? So we have to be leaders in that aspect of quantum computing so that we can actually be leaders in the aspect of anti-quantum computing encryption, right? That is breaking the encryption 
uh, or making the encryption unbreakable, right, by quantum computing. And uh, the agencies are all over it, right? They're trying to figure out what is their path. Most of them, though, today, they're like with zero trust. They're on a, a two to five year journey, right? They're planning out. Um, they're figuring out what they need to do. Again, I just want to highlight, I think the most important thing for agencies to do is to continue to innovate with what they're doing today while they're building that out, right? While they're figuring out how they transfer, while they're moving into their zero trust architecture and creating their new uh, anti-quantum computing encryption. I think I saw NIST just release some new uh, algorithms that, that can potentially uh, defend against that type of quantum decryption. You know. How early on are agencies though in, in kind of assessing, okay, I can, I can bring this algorithm into my environment, I can apply this to my environment, do, doing the innovation today with what they're doing as you talked about. So uh, uh, from, from our interactions with our customer base, the, the DOD and uh, the Intel agencies and all the other agencies, they've all laid out roadmaps. Yeah. And, and actually part of parcel of that is the fact that they've done it in that fashion specifically because you know, uh, 14028 uh, executive order came out and then with NSM8 on top of that, it's been the forcing function, right? And you mentioned the national manager earlier, you know, at the agency, right? Um, the fact that the national manager was there before, but they couldn't, they, they generally could enforce it, but weren't really had, all, they didn't really have all the buy-in, right? Um, uh, so now they do. Uh, I think the best way to, to view that is, you know, the national manager has the capacity to go to any agency head and say, no, you have to do this, right? Now, there are exemptions in there. Certainly, there's the capacity to have exemptions. But, you know, all in, I think most agencies are like, we need to get on this. It's really important to us. We're going to lay out our roadmap and make it happen. Yeah. On that national manager front, it almost seems like, NSM-8 was putting the NSA in the same kind of seat that CISA is on the civilian side of government, where you now have these two entities making sure the entire federal government is kind of in lockstep on a lot of these requirements. Yeah, very, 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 mu very much so. And, you know, we advocate that, look, you know, if you, were, if you were to buy a car and it had, you know, basic features on it, or you could buy a more expensive car that had even nicer features on it, right? If you could take some of those nicer features and put them into your, you know, the, the less capable car, why wouldn't you do that? So we advocate for organizations to look at what uh, organizations, agencies like, uh, like the uh, NSA or, or other intel agencies, look at what they're doing with their technology and bring that to the civilian side. Why wouldn't you want to do that, right? I, I, we wholeheartedly believe that data, it doesn't matter how the government defines it, all data is important, right? And you need to protect it at every stage. Sure. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see some of that collaboration, but it's, it's pretty early days. Well, John, in the minute or so we have left, are there any important thoughts that you'd like to leave us on here? Um, again, primarily fo focus on innovating with what you have as you're going through that journey, right? Uh, you know, add more filtering, look at other techniques to protect yourself, because if the breach happens today, right, it may keep you from getting to, to tomorrow. Right, so it, it's really important for agencies and, and companies alike, right, not to lose that focus. Got it, all right. Again, I'd like to thank today's guest, John Meyer, the Vice President and General Manager of Cyber Products and Services at Arcfield. John, thanks for a great discussion today. Yeah, I appreciate it, thanks a lot. Absolutely. Again, I'm your moderator, Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Federal News Network. 
For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search ArcField. Thank you for listening to the discussion Raising the Cybersecurity Bar Across National Security Networks, sponsored by ArcField on Federal News Network.